0: welcome to the first episode of the ecosystem podcast i'm your host kelly eco and i'm pleased to have an esteemed guest if you know the word of football you know the word of transfers you've seen them on sky sports darmer seth how are you doing sir
1: oh well welcome thanks so much kelly that's uh, the best welcome i've had for a long long time if ever Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You are my very first guest, so you are the most important oh, guest. <laughs> honored.
0: So, obviously, I want to get right into the business. You've been around these clubs for a long time. You speak to very high-level people inside these football clubs. Around this time of the year, what are those
1: conversations like behind the scenes as the transfer window you know, approaches its closing day? Well, I mean, it depends how much business has been done. I think what is quite significant is it's gone back in the last two or three years of the transfer window remaining open after the season started. So you've got a situation where the season started, I think on the 5th of August this year, and there's another 27 days. So close to four weeks of the transfer window still being open. So you've got a situation where clubs who might not have wanted to do any business once the season started because their squad was sorted. You might find that they get injuries or they might be in a position where they haven't started the season very well and think, we're going to need to rectify this before, it, uh, before the window closes. So you might find uh, a lot of clubs doing business towards the end of the window. I always get asked the question, it gets very, very busy on the last three days and on deadline day, why weren't these clubs doing the business before? Well, it's not always that easy doing a transfer deal. People just think it's a case of, yeah, I like that player, here's the money, and the deal's done very, very rarely happens. I can only compare it to if you are trying to buy a house. So if you go and see a house, you go and view it two or three times, and then you think, yeah, I'm interested in this house, but I'm gonna look at other houses as well before I make my decision. It's the same thing with players. And then when you do decide, right, this is the house I want, it's very rare that you're just going to put down the full amount of money for that house straight away. So there's a bit of negotiation involved. You might go to the, the seller and say, look, I know you're asking is this, but I don't want to pay that much. This is how much I want to pay. So it's a very loose comparison, but it can be com- compared to how transfers work sometimes. And I just think towards the end of the window, uh, when you have a selling club in particular, I think they're in the driving seat with certain deals only because they could potentially smell desperation from a buying club. Because if a buying club is leaving it that late in the window, then the selling club is thinking, well, we can raise the price here because they're obviously desperate to bring in this player. Let's just raise the price a little bit. So, I I mean, the biggest clubs so far, the most successful clubs currently, the likes of Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal and Tottenham to a certain extent as well, have done a lot of their business early. I know Jurgen Klopp is saying now that he wants to bring in a midfielder, but that's because... I think he was forced into doing that simply because of the injuries he's had. But, yeah, I just think a lot of clubs want to do their business early, ideally before pre-season. Take them on a pre-season tour, vet them into the squad, and no worries when the season starts. Doesn't always work that way. I think a team like Manchester United is a good example
0: of a team that's kind of been a bit reactive in in the market. You know, obviously they wanted to get Frankie de Jong in early. Today we've seen them crank out a result at Southampton, but they still need a forward. What is the status of of their search for a forward now? And why has it taken so long to kind of get
1: something done? So at the start of the window, the the information I was given was that the two priority positions was to strengthen in midfield and to strengthen the forward line. Now, the midfield was the outstanding priority. And I think Eric Ten Hag had made it clear, not only was midfield number one priority, the number one priority was also Frankie de Jong. So it wasn't a case of let's see who else is out there. I want to get Frankie de Jong. He's the player that I see who can implement the philosophy that I want to bring to this football club. He'll be that central fulcrum in that team that will make everything else tick. Unfortunately, they're trying to buy from a club that is in chaos at the moment in Barcelona because you've got a situation there with Frankie de Jong where he had taken a wage cut during the pandemic so that he was owed deferred wages. And then Barcelona even though publicly they were saying, yeah, no, we're happy with Frankie de Jong. We want him to stay. He's happy to stay. That's the public side of what they were saying. Privately, I think they wanted to do a deal because while they were having to sort out all of these deferred wages with various players, they were still going out and buying numerous players like the likes of Lewandowski and Rafinha, as well as in the free transfer market as well in uh, Andreas Christensen and and Frank Kessy. And more recently, uh, Georges Koundé. And it was very difficult for them to register these players because they didn't have the cash flow. So what they did, they brought these players in and then decided we're going to need to sell some players to be able to register certain players. So then Manchester United were in that position where they thought, you know what, we've got a deal in principle agreed with Barcelona. There's no need for us to panic because all of the problems that are delaying any kind of deal for Frankie de Jong are coming from the Barcelona side. We are relaxed where we are with this. And as much as people will say it will be seen as a failure that if United don't get Frankie de Jong, I don't think it was of their making. They did everything that they could to get him simply because they'd agreed a deal in principle with Barcelona. It was Barcelona and Frankie de Jong where the issues were lying. So while United were chasing Frankie de Jong and all the uh, focus was on that, there was another target that they had at the beginning of the window and it was Anthony, the, the Ajax forward, but once the Frankie de Jong saga started developing and they started getting a bit of encouragement, that a deal could have been done. I think they kind of just called their interest a little bit in Anthony. Then when the Frankie de Jong one looked like this is very difficult to happen, they then focused on the fact that they need to bring a forward player in. Now, by this time, Anthony has started the season at Ajax and he's starting their games. So, as much as he was still the number one target, United had to look around for alternatives. So they were looking at Benjamin Sesko, who's now signed a deal for uh, RB uh, Leipzig from RB Salzburg. They were looking at uh, Cal, uh, Sasser Kalajic as well, who I think Wolves are very, very interested in now. They're looking even at Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Cody Gapko. But then I think once the Casemiro deal got done, It wasn't a case of right that's the frankie de jong deal done and dusted we're not going to go for him because i still think that if there became a possibility from the barcelona end to say to man united frankie de jong is for sale let's do a deal i think united would be a little bit more in control of that deal in that they could do it on their terms even though the budget probably wouldn't allow it this summer's budget anyway they might have to go into future budgets they might have to discuss with Barcelona a structured deal. But as it stands, that one is really quite cool now, uh, as opposed to it being on again. So the focus is firmly on Antony. Now, Kalechi, if you are the Ajax chief executive, if you're the Ajax chairman, the Ajax owner, and you know that Manchester United wanted Antony at the start of the window, and they didn't get him, and they moved to other targets, and then they came back with two weeks to go of the transfer window, what are you going to do? You're (laughs) going to say, right, you want him. You're obviously desperate now. It's two weeks to go. That €80 million that you could have got him for at the beginning of the window, that doesn't stand anymore because that €80 million we could have got from you at the start of the window, we could have spent and sorted out our squad for the start of the season. They don't want to sell Anthony simply because of the fact that there's very little time For them to get a replacement but if they were to sell him it would have to be at an increased price because that would be the compensation Ajax would accept for not being able to bring in a replacement because I think their thinking now might be we don't want to sell him but are we going to get close to 100 million euros or even more than that again for this player particularly now that Anthony is really really agitating for that move so Do they now keep a player who obviously wants to leave the club, who is disappointed that 80 million euros and 90 million euros has not been enough to sign him? Or do they say, no, we're going to keep you. You're our player. You're under contract. And then risk him not being fully focused and mentally ready as he hasn't been in the last two weeks when this transfer has has come up again. And then risk his valuation going down if he doesn't have the season that they expect him to have. So as much as Man United are thinking, we don't want to pay that much money. Ajax as well are thinking, we've got to be careful here. We've got to strike a balance. Yes, we can charge Manchester United a bit more. But we've also got to think about the the attitude of the player. Is he going to be the €100 million player that we value him at on September the 2nd if he is still at our club? Or is his mind going to be, I wanted to be at Manchester United. Why did they not let me go? So that's where it stands at the moment. United, their mantra throughout the transfer window has been this. They will have money available to Eric Ten Hag. They want to back the manager at all times. They want to bring in the players that he wants. But they are prepared to walk away from any kind of deal if it doesn't suit them. Now, some might say, surely they'll walk away from the Antony deal because 80, 90 million euros being rejected doesn't suit Manchester United, obviously. Not quite, because the information I'm given is that the point where they walk out hasn't arrived yet. The talks are still ongoing with Ajax. Now, it might be a case of Ajax thinking we want to get to 100 million euros, or they're thinking 90 million euros is fine, but... We want to change the initial payment. We want you to pay us more of that upfront. And we want some of the add-ons that you've put on to the deal maybe to be more achievable than they are at the moment. So deals can work in very different ways. You know, like if you said to me, look, Ajax have rejected 90 million euros and say next week before the deadline, Manchester United managed to do a deal at 90 million euros or less. Just say, for example, that happened. Everyone would say, what are Ajax doing? We might not know the ins and the outs of the deal, and that might be a case where United will have paid a lot more up front and a lot more money is guaranteed to Ajax in a structure and in the achievable add-on. So United, make no mistake, still in for Anthony. They've got Cody Gakpo from PSV Eindhoven bubbling away in the background. Doing a deal for both, I'm told, is very unlikely, but not impossible. And way back in the background, but still lurking, is a, a little passing interest in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang from Barcelona. Now, cynics might say that all of this has become public, the Gakpo deal and the Aubameyang deal, for two reasons. One, Manchester United are genuinely interested, and we take it on face value. Or, number two, they might just trying to be giving Ajax a little nudge and saying, right you're not accepting that deal, we've got other options here. We could move on and we could sign somebody else. So it's got to that point, you would, in, in reference to your first question as well, where the shadow boxing side uh, period of the transfer window, that's over. This is business, the business end now. And clubs have got to make decisions. They can stay stubborn as much as they want, but it's a case of brinkmanship now. Who's going to blink first?
0: Speaking of blinking first, can you also parlay that to a Cristiano Ronaldo situation where he's in a situation where he obviously wants to leave the club? Do you see that situation evolving before September
1: 1st, or could he still be on the roster you know, after the window closes? Look, we, if we take on face value what Manchester United are saying, he's not for sale. He's got a year left on his contract, and he's got a further 12-month option. Cristiano Ronaldo wants to leave, but... If you look at what's happened since the start of the season, Cristiano Ronaldo has come off the bench in all three games, in all four games. Has he come off the bench in all four games? He came off the bench against Brighton. He came off the uh, he started against Brentford, came off the bench very late against Liverpool, and he came off the bench against Southampton earlier on today. Now, if Manchester United had offers on the table that were suitable for them to think yes will do a deal, I can't imagine a scenario just now whereby they would risk that deal going through because Ronaldo could easily get injured in one of these games. So Manchester United, at the moment, are obviously not getting the offer that they want. Not that they're welcoming these offers because as far as Eric ten Hag is concerned, he's been very consistent from the moment this story came out. It was July the 2nd this story came out where Cristiano Ronaldo made it clear, I want to leave and I want to play Champions League football. We're now coming towards the end of the transfer window, two months on, and there hasn't been an offer that has turned Manchester United's head. That's not to say that George Mendes, his agent, is working tirelessly to try and get a deal done. I'm I'm, I'm not doubting that at all. But the later it gets, the more you think, right, if United do sell Ronaldo... Are they going to have any time to bring in a centre forward? Martial is there, of course. They want to bring in Anthony. but realistically, they're, they're now looking at number nines, who would be wingers playing in the number nine position. Ten Hag may want that out and out number nine. He had it at Ajax very successfully with Sebastian Haller. He probably sees that as a big option for him to have in Cristiano Ronaldo. I just think that the later this one goes the more unlikely it is that Ronaldo will get that move. When it all broke on on two months ago, close to two months ago, I think everybody's assumption was that within no time at all, a week or so, there would be a move in the offing because George Mendes and Ronaldo wouldn't have made it clear that they wanted to move if there wasn't a deal ready to go. But when you look back on it now, the move that they made by saying that he didn't want to be at the club anymore was actually to drum up the interest. But it's very difficult to get a deal done for someone who's 37 years old. Yes, he's one of the best players in the world. We know that. But also for someone who's on £500,000 a week. So it would take a lot of concessions, probably from the Cristiano Ronaldo side, for that to happen. I think Ronaldo's ideal scenario would be to mutually terminate his contract with Manchester United because then... The transfer fee part of any kind of deal would be eliminated. And then it would be up to Ronaldo to decide whichever club was in for him to say, I can take the pay cut. Whereas Manchester United it's not in their interest. They brought him to the club. They've given him a two year contract with an option of a further year. This is for like a 36 year old when he signed. So they've got every right to say, no, 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 no. It's not going to work like that. If anything is going to happen, it's going to be on our terms. Is there any angle
0: to, I guess, the fan protests that came out about the Glazers, the fact that earlier in the week there were names like Arnautovic, Adrian Rabio, and then all of a sudden they brought in Casemiro. Is there any angle to that that just shows maybe the temperature at the club is falling or rising as a result of games, or are those
1: things not related? Um, I don't think so. Manchester United fans, we know how a lot of them feel about the ownership at... At the club, they're not very happy. They're not very happy with the model, and they're not very happy with the structure above the manager. It's been it's been an age old problem for United since Sir Alex Ferguson and David Gill left the club at the same time. Because while clubs like Liverpool and Manchester City were taking a step back and thinking, right, we need to build a structure first and get a philosophy. And then we will bring in the players to fit in that philosophy and bring in a manager to bring in that philosophy. It hasn't happened that way for United because when Sir Alex Ferguson was at the club and David Gilbert was alongside him, I think the hierarchy at United thought, well, this is perfect because we've had so much success with a model like this. This is obviously how football will work, but football's changed. So when David Moyes came in, great manager, but he hadn't managed the club of the magnitude of Manchester United. And what hurt David Moyes as well was the fact that David Gill left at the same time. So what ended up happening, the two people who were running a lot of what was happening at that club in Ferguson and Gill were both leaving the club to be replaced by Ed Woodward who hadn't done a transfer before and David Moyes who hadn't managed a club of that magnitude before. So what ended up happening, United's transfer policy became a bit of a mishmash and they started signing players that were more like the galacticos model and let's just throw in loads of big money signings let's spend lots of money let's hope it gels but i think they've learned now because what's easier is it easier to replace a manager or is it easier to replace 10 players who are under contract for five years it's easier to replace a manager however what Manchester United have done is the recruitment of the manager and the players has been very inconsistent throughout the last nine or 10 years because they haven't had that sporting director. They haven't had that structure and what's ended up happening, all of the managers that have come in since Sir Alex Ferguson, in David Moyes, in Louis van Halen, in Jose Mourinho, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Ralph Ranick, they bear no resemblance to the previous manager. Whereas, If you look at other clubs like Liverpool and City, they've built the philosophy, they bought the players and they're bringing in manager who is going to fit that philosophy. And if the manager starts failing and doesn't get the results, they will bring a manager in who is going to be able to fit in with the players that they've got because they've trusted the recruitment of the players. Whereas United have decided they're going to change the manager. And what ends up happening? I remember on on the first day of the season, you had a starting eleven where you had players from Sir Alex Ferguson's time, from Louis van Gaal's time, from Jose Mourinho's time, from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's time, and from um, Eric Ten Hag's time, you wouldn't get that mishmash in, in all these other clubs. And I think United are trying to change that narrative now by bringing in someone like Murto and Arnold. Whatever people think about them, they put those two guys in that structure with... Darren Fletcher helping out as well. And in coordination with the manager, the information I get that they're in full alignment about the signings they make. Some some cynics would say all of the players are basically people that Eric Ten Hag likes. And on paper, it does look that way. But I think some United fans are now starting to see, despite those results in the first two games, that Eric Ten Hag is the boss. Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw, Cristiano Ronaldo, you dropped... He's got that leadership in him to say, I'm the boss now. I've got the discipline. This is what is going to happen. And now he's bringing in the players that are going to work to his philosophy. And because they've done that, you would expect that if there is short-term pain, I don't think United are going to press the panic button. I think they're going to put faith in Ten Hag as being the long-term project. Thomas, before I
0: let you go, I want to touch on clubs like Chelsea, Arsenal, West Ham, Newcastle. What is the latest on, on those developments? Because we're seeing teams like Chelsea who are still looking for a centre-forward. Arsenal, could they bring in a, another midfielder? I know Newcastle just signed Alexander Isak. What is the latest on those
1: fronts? If we start with Newcastle. I think they're still in the, the market to bring in another forward player, potentially a winger. Earlier on in the window, there was talk of Ismail Assar. There was talk of Moussa Diaby from Baye Leverkusen. Um, the Isak deal, that kind of caught everyone on the hop because it... Emerged within 24 hours, he was holding the shirt up and he was signed. Um, before that, during the week, it was Jao Pedro who uh Newcastle United were looking at from Watford, and they put a 30 million bid down. And I don't think the 30 million was what the issue was with Watford, it was 25 million pounds initial fee and £5 million in add-ons. I think there were still discussions ongoing about the structure of that £25 million and how achievable those add-ons were. Uh, One person told me that those add-ons were dependent on them getting Champions League football on a regular basis, which you can't guarantee, given the, 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 the amount of competition there is in the Premier League. So while they were doing that, the ESAC one was happening in the background. The information I've been given is... It's... Dormant at the moment with regard to Pedro. He even started the game for Watford today. So they're continuing to to assume that he's going to be staying at the club. But it's not over, is what I'm told, just because Isak has come. However, unlikely is that they'll bring in João Pedro for a fee of 30 million, having spent what could rise to 63 million for Isak. It sounds unlikely and they might focus on other targets, but the fact of the matter is because they were going for him, it's obvious that that's a position that they do want to fill aside of Isak. Um, Chelsea, they could be alongside the likes of Everton, potentially Manchester United as well, the busiest clubs in, in this transfer window and what remains of it, and not just incomings. I mean, we know Chelsea are in the market for a centre forward. There's talks ongoing to try and get a deal done for Pierre-Emerick Abamiang. From Barcelona, and the, and the the saga kind of taken a little twist there because I think Barcelona needed to sell Abamyang to be able to register Jules Kunde. But the noise is coming out from Spain now is that they've managed to do that registration of Kunde without having to sell Abamyang. But even if that is true, Chavi was asked a question about Abamyang, and he said anything is possible in the last few days. So I think that deal could still be open. For a potential uh, signing from Chelsea of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Thomas Tuchel loves him, had him at uh, Borussia Dortmund for two seasons. In those two seasons, 79 goals in 96 games. Phenomenal. Yes, he is a lot older now, but there's a, an understanding and a relationship between the, the pair of them that could work at Chelsea as well. Midfielder, yes, potentially they could go in for one. There was talk of Frankie de Jong earlier on in the window. The one that looks like it is going to happen and a big, big money, a world record fee for a defender is Wesley Fofana. That one looks like it's a case of when and not if. I mean, the the two teams played today and he obviously wasn't involved. There was an agreement late last night, which we think was around 70 million pounds, initial payment plus add-ons, which we think would take it past 75, 80 million pounds, which would be a world record for a defender. Incredible fee if you think about it. only a couple of seasons in the Premier League, he's had a serious injury. He's not France international yet, but Chelsea obviously need to recruit a player like Wesley Fofana. Given you know their backline, says Aspinale Quetta in his thirties, Thiago Silva in his late thirties, they've signed Kalidou Koulibaly, who's in his thirties as well. So they need to start bringing in a younger type of player just to to have one eye on the future, but for now as well. And they see Wesley Fofana as someone who could walk straight into that team and and, and perform. So I think there is a lot of positions that they will be looking to strengthen Chelsea. Definitely the central defender we will see done. The central forward, I think is very likely. Midfield, that's another matter. And I think they'll have knock-on effects as well for potential sales because Marcos Alonso, uh, I think they're looking to, to move him on. Barcelona deal looked on, and I think Chelsea wanted him to be part of the Abamiang deal. But Then that would have had even more problems for Barcelona, because if they couldn't register Jules Koundé, they'd have another player in Marcus Alonso that they couldn't register. So I think they just wanted to do a cash deal with Abamyang and Chelsea. Likes of Ross Barkley, he's still there. Mishi Batshuayi is still there. I think he's been interesting. Um, Salah The one to look out for as well... It's Conor Gallagher. He got sent off today against Leicester after 28 minutes. I just wonder whether whether, uh, Chelsea are thinking about, let's send him on loan and see if we can get another midfielder in. You remember he had a fantastic loan spell at Crystal Palace last season, got England recognition off the back of it. If he's going to talk to Tuchel and say, am I going to get regular first-team football or not? If the answer is no... He wants to get into the World Cup squad for England. He's got a taste of it. If he's not playing regular first-team football, that, those are his chances gone. So maybe just one to keep an eye on Conor Gallagher. Uh, with regard to Arsenal, yes, they're in the market to bring in a forward player. Whether that happens is is questionable. Arsenal are beginning to behave like Liverpool and City in that they will only do business if it's a long-term target. It's not one of these positions where they think we have to bring someone in for the sake of bringing someone in, there's interest in Pedro Neto. Now, if he is a long-term target of Arsenal's and they can't get him in this transfer window, which, if you believe what Wolves say is unlikely because they are steadfast in saying he is not for sale in this tra- in this summer's transfer window, then maybe Arsenal will just say, let's stick with what we've got and then uh, revisit in January or next summer. Nicolas Pepe has left on loan, so that's left Arteta, in his own words, short in that position, so they are in the market for it. I think focus predominantly will still be on outgoing to Arsenal. If they can get one of their long-term targets in on a forward position, then all the better. But I think Hector Bellerin and Ainsley Maitland Niles are two other players who you might see move before the end of the window. Thank you so
0: much, Dharma. I know this is the busiest time for you, so be sure to take care of yourself.
1: Mm, nice one, mate. Sorry, just talking your <laughs> home legs off there. Sorry. It is
0: good, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate this.
1: Mate, let's do it again soon. Take care.